with us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the everyone welcome to ghost chronicles next generation i am ron kolik your host that jolly old elf right here in my coal mine working so hard and diligently at christmas time wrapping the gifts buying the presents building the presents and all that cool stuff uh -huh. new england's own van helsing and with me my co-host co-host Coho, as usual the blonde bombshell and carrigan <laughs> What you call me? Coho. Coho? Coho. Hi, everybody. Merry Christmas. Welcome to our Christmas special. And joining us all the way from wherever the hell he is, in some green place. I don't he's, know. He, he's been signed, I think. He is the ghost theater, the ghost that's my partner from the Ghost Chronicles International. Well, I should say he is his show. I'm just there. To stifle uh, Mr. it, Mr. Steve passes. Good evening, Merry Christmas. Yeah. Did you? I, you were just being festive when you said ho ho ho. Go ho ho. <laughs> Who the hell knows what I say? Steve? I ho ho I hope so. I say. <laughs> yeah. What did Santa call his Mrs. Santa one Christmas Eve? Ho ho ho. Oh. <laughs> <clears throat> I got right. him into trouble. You you can't have a home without a hoe in me. <sighs> Hey, homie. Yeah. No. Can't no. spell home without home and me. Ho no and me. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, welcome, everybody. I thought that myself. You know, I we was the one tell. that I insisted on doing a video show for yeah, Christmas. That was a big mistake. <laughs> it was such a mistake. Such a mistake. But, you know, it's just one of those things. It's, uh, we want to have a video show at Christmas time, and now everybody's just running around, and COVID's back, or om Omicron, Omicron, how do you say it? Whatever. I don't don't ask Ron. So all that's back, so I'm like, well, let's Zoom. Well, let's Zoom. There's the oh, Northern we'll Lights. Steve has the Northern Lights. Uh, and, and plus, you know, Steve's over in, in uh, you know, the UK. Wherever he is. A little easier. We really don't know where he is. We've never been there. We don't even know if the place exists. It's cold. Some, you know, he could be some homeless bum that's in the uh, well, homeless, homeless person who is who is uh, you know under the bridge somewhere. We don't know. We have no clue. I'm outside under the stars. The northern lights behind me, so, twinkling so you see, away. I told you it's homeless. He doesn't even have a home. He's outside. He has oh, to broadcast outside. God. Says the man who looks like, where is Waldo? I don't know. All you need is a white white and red stripe. Throw some white stripes on it. Scoffed. I should have got scoffed. That's what I needed. Oh, well done. Oh, Anyways, the, um, uh, yeah, this is a Christmas special, can you tell? <laughs> but anyway, Steve, you were right. Yes. I got to see the new Ghostbusters movie, which is excellent. Most excellent. No spoilers. And, and no, and and you were yeah. right. 
they copied my ghost hunting mobile first. Oh, so no, it no. is the exact, exact car that's in the show. I so. I I was talking to Dylan uh, about that, and we thought that maybe the hubcaps were wrong. Nope, nope. But it is the same color as well. It's the same color. Same. It's the same car. I'm telling you. Yeah. It's, it's the same model. That's same. A, yeah. Yeah. Same one. Exact I'll same one. Send a message one. to uh, Danny Boy, and uh, he'll let me know. You know, Dylan's been planning to buy it when he comes over or steal it or something. Yeah. It's going to go riding round to um, out in the outback. Okay. Looking anyway, for mines. So this is supposed to be a Christmas special, and we do. I recommend the show. I thought it was really great. I, I do. Movie? Yeah. Yeah. Everybody I'll I know has seen it except me. So That's why I'll... no spoilers. Yeah, we're not spoilers. Except yeah. take, take tissues. Oh, great. <laughs> Ghostbusters? Afterlife is going to make me cry? Oh, no. Uh, in all fairness, my eyes watered up. Oh, wow. It even melted your icy heart? Wow. Yep, okay. I do have an icy heart. And know. one other thing. Don't leave the theater until the credits have finished. All the credits. All Russ, the credits. Yes, yes. Russ, Russ has alerted me to that. Yeah. Good buddy Russ, yes. So I'm-, I'm Because there's to... not one, but there's two extras. Okay. And there you go. Good. So anyways, uh, Christmas is a very festive time and that's why we're here because we're really festive. And- uh, Wicked festive. Was that festus for the rest Wicked of us? Festive. No. Oh, don't no, we're not doing that. No. Not doing festivus. Feet of feet of strength. Feet of strength. All right, moving right along. <laughs> Steve, uh, you celebrate Christmas, but you also get an extra holiday. You get boxing day too, right? We do. We have Boxing Day here in the United Kingdom, which uh, is traditionally the day you put all the boxes in the attic. You put all the crap back away. Yeah. Right? Well, in, in this household, it's the day we take the tree down, all the decorations. Yeah. Um, what is, what in fact, I'd take, I'd take them down now if I could. <laughs> but I don't need to this year. We have the... <clears throat> um, as you know, a year ago, a year and a month ago, we got a kitty cat. Oh, yeah. and every uh, last year she was a very small kitty cat, and this year she's a bigger kitty cat. And a few uh, last weekend we put up the uh, largest cat toy she's <laughs> ever seen, and now we've got to order another one because she's broken it. Oh. It's been down so often it it won't stand up straight anymore. It it has a a definite curve in it, and. Fortunately, all the decorations have survived, but uh, you have to tether it to the wall. We've tried that. We've um, we've tried everything, but the cat likes it. And every time, you know, it's like, what's that? Well, she's a cat. That's what cats mm -hmm. do. This is true. This is well, true. You've had a tradition, Steve, that as long as I've known you, that every time you come over here, you, you buy a cat, not the cat. You buy your wife cat. Mm -hmm. <laughs> this is lots of cats that's that yeah uh not just here not just over to the states uh whenever we go on a trip to a new place um as we were recently in edinburgh and um cat always cat catherine my wife always likes to buy a christmas ornament decoration um 
as a memento of the trip. And when I first came over the first trip, we we went via New York, if your credit card remembers. And and, uh, she said to me, you've got to get me a Christmas decoration. Now, it was July, middle of summer, and I'm walking around New York trying to um, avoid conflict. Because, as you know, New York is a, a city of conflict. Mm-hmm. And you were traveling with conflict. And I brought my own. Um, <clears throat> so I'm walking uh, from Times Square down towards uh, the Empire State Building, frantically looking for a Christmas ornament Christmas in July. And you know what? As I turn the corner into th- this isn't a joke. But as I turned the corner into 34th Street, there was a gift store. And I went into that gift store. And on 34th Street in New York City in July, a miracle happened. And they had Christmas decorations. Wow. And I bought one. And then an hour later, we went to the top of the Empire State Building. And in the gift shop in the Empire State Building, as you leave... They had Christmas decorations in July. So we came back with two. Excellent. But a genuine miracle took place on 34th Street. As as it should. Appropriate. How appropriate. And the cat broke it the first year it was home. (laughs) But fortunately, it it was a resin that glued back together. And the Empire Empire State Christmas ornament is made of metal. It's cat proof. Perfect. And when originally this started, I asked you about Boxing Day. The Feast of St. Stephen, the 26th of December. So, so yes, what, what is Boxing Day? Because you have that extra day. We, we yeah, well, in actual fact, we it has a reason, and it's the Feast of St. Stephen. Why it's called Boxing Day, I can't remember. In fact, I don't think anybody knows. Um <laughs> And growing up as children, we genuinely were told by our parents, that's the day you put the boxes back away. So you pack all of your toys back at all the packaging and all the crap that strewn across the floor. (laughs) And that's what you do on Boxing Day. Oh, you eat turkey turkey sandwiches and turkey curry. Leftover. Yeah, it's leftovers day. We curry everything. Was it it originally that they would get the poor... Uh, they would open up the poor boxes in the church and probably, and probably to the poor, probably. <laughs> but you know, we have so many different Just weird. Poor... Your time is that what you saying? Yeah, we have so many different weird poor laws here in the UK. Um, one of them was that the parish would you could would uh, club together and they would. Um, I think the I don't, they didn't give it you; they loaned you a cow. Yep. Every year, you could, if you were poor, the parish would would loan you a cow. All right. For yeah. for milk. For milk. Just milk. For like, milk. Yeah. Well, you couldn't eat it because you had to give it back at the end I of the say, year. You can't make steaks out of it. So no, because like, what have you done with the cat? Oh, sorry, I ate it. Well, I have to. I have to interject here, guys, because it is a Christmas show, and I always have a little uh, cemetery tripping that I play about. Santa Claus. So he's uh, not dead, is he? Oh yes, is. no! Well, oh. I don't know. You'll have to watch the 
the cemetery tripping. Oh, I put in my glasses. I can see you all now. We're going to roll in our annual uh, cemetery tripping for Christmas. So here we go. Welcome to Cemetery Tripping, where I will feature a different cemetery in each episode that I hope you will seek out and enjoy as much as I do. As an avid taphophile, or lover of tombstones, I spend a lot of time in the local New England area in the beautiful and historic cemeteries we have here. The stones here are like no others, and I have literally thousands of pictures of the intricate and symbolic carvings found on them. You can see my pictures on Facebook by doing a search for Cemetery Tripping. Today I'm going to deviate a little bit from my usual cemetery review and probably upset a few people since I'm going to talk about the grave of St. Nicholas. Now before you get all upset, it's not the St. Nick that makes the toys and slides down that chimney every year. No, no, no. This St. Nick is the man behind the origin of Santa Claus, so pay attention. In the course of my research to determine exactly where the grave of St. Nicholas is, I discovered that there are actually a number of places where his bones could be buried. According to local Irish legend, St. Nicholas is buried in County Kilkenny in the ruined church of St. Nicholas in Jerpoint. The church is all that remains of the medieval village, Newtown Jerpoint, that fell to ruin by the 17th century. There lies a grave slab which dates to the 1300s with an image of a cleric, thought to be a bishop, and two other heads. The cleric is said to be St. Nicholas, and the heads, the two crusaders who, so the story goes, brought Nicholas's remains back to Ireland. The second resting place is supposedly on an island off the coast of Turkey, where historians believe they have found the original tomb of Santa Claus in the ruins of an early Christian pilgrimage center in Myra on Jamil Adasi, the island of sailors. Their research into the 1,600-year-old site strongly suggests that the attraction for early pilgrims was the original tomb of St. Nicholas, a 4th-century late Roman bishop, these days better known as Santa Claus. In medieval times, the place was called St. Nicholas Island by seafarers, and his name is painted on part of the ruined building where the tomb lies. When Nicholas died on December 6, 343 AD, still widely celebrated as St. Nicholas Day, his grave in Myra became a popular pilgrimage site. In 1087, Italian sailors stole the body and brought it to Italy, supposedly to protect it from invading Seljuk Turks. So that brings us to the third burial site in the city of Bari. But wait, there's a fourth site. San Nicolo Alido in Venice also has some bones from St. Nick. For years, the churches from Bari and Venice argued about who could claim the real Santa Claus. In 1992, the Venice bones were examined and said they were likely to be the same person. The explanation is that the original sailors may not have removed all the bones from Turkey, and the rest were brought to Venice during the First Crusades. Like many early saints, little is known about the life of St. Nicholas. It's said that when his wealthy parents died, Nicholas gave away his inheritance to the sick and needy, thus gaining a reputation for generosity. But his most important act, from the Santa Claus perspective, was his anonymous gift of three bags of gold thrown through a window to help pay the dowries of three maidens whose father would otherwise have forced them into prostitution. 
To commemorate this in medieval times, a custom grew up of giving anonymous presents on St. Nicholas's Eve. As well as being the patron saint of sailors and travelers, St. Nicholas also became the patron saint of children. In the Netherlands, St. Nicholas was known as Sinterklaas, but it was through the Dutch colonial town of New Amsterdam, later renamed New York, that the Dutch Sinterklaas became the American Santa Claus, giver of Christmas gifts. So there you have it, the story of the grave of Santa Claus. Where his final resting place is exactly, I feel no one will ever know for sure. But his deeds and actions inspired a legend. So let's consider his final resting place in our minds, hearts, and shining eyes of our children. Merry Christmas to you all. We're back. So now you know all about Santa Claus. Sorry. All right, I'm just going to go out and light a candle. <laughs> no. We were talking about cows before. Yes. Before Jesus, imagine one of them in your tree. <laughs> so according to uh, what it is, uh, a, a cow grazing happily speaks of joy and contentment in the home. So that's why we have a Christmas cow. If a oh. cow represents self, it is a signal that you need nurturing and emotional nourishment, you old cow. Christian's uh, tradition once believed that cows kneel at midnight on Christmas facing east. Okay. And uh, cows, of course, notorious for predicting the weather, oh, which yeah. I learned. I learned growing up, didn't you? Yeah. You, didn't, you haven't been reading that, have you, from Google? What's that? <laughs> no, it's not on Google. Hey. Can I can I ask it? We have a tradition here in Britain, um, and it's a it's a new it's a brand new Christmas tradition, yeah, it's and it's spreading the so fast that actually our national um, uh, but, 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 but one of our big national museums has now joined in. Really, um, you know you have the Christmas crib, the nativity on yeah. the shelf or on a yeah, yeah the creation, yeah. and you have the three wise men, the shepherds, little baby Jesus. In, yeah. in, in the manger. Mm -hmm. um, do you have a T-Rex? Uh, Not lately. No. No oh, T-Rexes. Well, we do now because, and you can buy them, um, because for years, you remember I, uh, in Ghost Chronicles International Christmas show, we were talking about the, you never trust the British public. <laughs> <laughs> well, people started adding... Um, strange animals to the nativity see. i mean you know growing up um with helen my daughter um we had a mickey mouse in our <laughs> nativity makes sense and then we later on we added um a t-rex and we thought hey that's really funny look we've got a t-rex but unbeknownst to us lots of other people all had exactly the same idea and it spread and now you go into the christmas shops and you get nativity sets and you can have a T-Rex. Oh, my God. And the well, national... They were there the, first. Huh? They were there first. That's true. And um, now one of our giant national museums, uh, the national... Oh, I can't remember the name of it now, but they've got T-Rex skeletons and such. They've dressed their T-Rex in a Christmas jumper and stuck it in front of a big nativity scene. <laughs> <laughs> well, and we awesome. have a yeah, and we have a light up, you know, our, our nativity crib now has a T-Rex. I love it. One, one appeared in the local church last year. Somebody added the T-Rex. Oh, that yes, must yes. have been hysterical. One of those big, big costumes, yeah. the big inflatable costumes. Well, this, the T-Rex had a Christmas jumper on that little tiny arms. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. 
That's awesome. You should have him bring in the baby Jesus. <laughs> I saw Forget on, the baby uh, Jesus. <laughs> I saw uh, on Facebook, they actually had, uh, I don't know who had it, but uh, they had a little toy set and they had tanks and army men. And then they had Godzilla and then they had Jesus. And it was the name of it was Godzilla versus Jesus. <laughs> it was a toy set. <laughs> You got a little statue of Jesus. You got Godzilla. And you got a, a couple of tanks and some army men, and there you go. Oh, that's awesome. And I think we may have, we may inadvertently have started doing new tradition here. Well, <laughs> listeners that? to the show will all be running out now buying T Rexes, Godzillas. Absolutely. I have Playboy Bunny in my crèche. I have a question though, Steve. Yes. So, mm. what is up with? Uh, in in England, they always have the pickle ornament. That's German. Oh yeah, the Christmas pickle. Oh, is it German? That's German. That's, That's German. German. I thought That's it was German. No, no German. it's a German tradition. Never mind. I have yeah. well, my sister-in-law. But, but but we we have them now because but that's oh. something we've imported from Germany. I don't know where we we imported the T Rex from, but ah, because we have a pickle. Yeah, my, my sister-in-law gave it to me. But that makes sense because she used to uh, uh, teach in Germany uh, many years ago, and she gave us all pickles one year. And we're like, "Well, what do we do with this?" <laughs> you put it on the Christmas tree that the Germans also gave you. Uh, yeah, <laughs> really? That's where that came from, too, huh? Yeah, yeah. Prince Albert um, in eighteen forty-one wanted a traditional family Christmas for his, for his family. Mm -hmm. And he imported the, uh, the, the, the they Christmas were, festivities. They German, right? Yeah. Because he was a Hanoverian. Yeah. Um, a Saxe-Coburg-Goethe uh, was the original oh, family name. The name they had to in World War One. Yeah. Because yeah, we were fighting. Yeah, yeah. We were fighting his cousin. <laughs> um, and so it was decided we would change the, the George the Fifth decided to change the family name oh, okay. to Windsor because he was a bit concerned that having, you know, in Russia, they'd overthrown his other cousin, Nicholas. Mm -hmm. um, and he thought things aren't going to go well here. This could yeah, end badly. What you're supposed to do is, is hide a pickle shaped ornament on your Christmas tree. Yes. Okay. Because it's green. And ah. uh, then you, then you send your family hunting for it, either on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day. And whoever finds the pickle gets the Christmas cow. The Christmas you know, cow. They get, a, they get a gift. They get an extra Christmas gift. You get to milk the Christmas cow. There you go. With the pickle. It's only yours for a year. Yeah. No, 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 no. No, thank you. No, anyway. Well, we do have also a quick... I hope it's quick. Power news that we'd like to roll in from our intrepid reporter, Nathan Mayer. And he has a special Christmas power news for us. So we're just going to play that for you. And here we go. Welcome to the Merry Christmas edition of Paranews. This edition will feature some, about 10 
Christmas carols, and I'll discuss what their meaning are or stories attached with it. Joy to the World, 300 years ago in 1719, is the most published Christmas hymn in North America about heaven and earth rejoicing at the coming of the King and Christ's blessing extended victoriously over the realm of sin and Christ's rule over the nations that brought salvation to the world. O Come, Only Faithful, 1744. The words have been interpreted as a Jacobite code birth to Bonnie Prince Charlie, who is remembered for his role in the Jacobite Rising of 1745. God Rest You Merry Gentlemen, 1760, is re referred to in Charles Dickens' 1843 A Christmas Carol. At the first sound of God bless you, merry gentlemen, may nothing you dismay, Scrooge seized the ruler with such energy and action that the singer fled in terror, leaving the keyhole to the fog and even more congenial frost. Silent Night, 1818. A fictional story publi published in the U.S. in the 1930s ostensibly wrote the spurious legend about an organ breaking down in the church of Oberndorf, Austria, where the song was first, song was first performed. The 1935 Bing Crosby version is the fourth best-selling single of all time. It came upon the Midnight Clear, 1849. It's a poem in Christmas carol written by Edmund Sears, pastor of Uni the Unitarian Church in Wayland, Massachusetts. Its focus is not of Bethlehem, but of the contemporary issue of war and peace. It has long been assumed that Sears' response to the just-ended Mexican-American War. Up on the Housetop, 1864, is the second oldest secular Christmas song and the first Yule song to focus primarily on Santa Claus. Benjamin Henby, the songwriter, probably owes the idea that Santa and his sleigh landed on rooftops on the homes to Clement C. Moore's 1822 poem, A Visit from St. Nicholas, also commonly known as The Night Before Christmas. What Child Is This? 1865. At the time of the composing this carol, William Chatterton Dix works as an insurance company manager and has been struck as was struck by a severe illness. While recovering, he underwent a spiritual renewal and led him to write several hymns, including lyrics to this carol that was subsequently set in the time, uh, to the tune of Greensleeves, a traditional English folk song. Although it was written in Great Britain, the carol was popular in the United States and other than its origin country. A Little Town of Bethlehem, 1868. The text was written by Philip Brooks, an Episcopal priest, then rector of the Church of the Holy Trinity in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and later of Trinity Church in Boston, Massachusetts. He was inspired by visiting the village of Bethlehem in the Sangjunk of Jerusalem in 1865. Three years later, he wrote the poem for his church, and his organist, Louis Renner, added the music. Santa Claus is Coming to Town, 1934, was written by John Frederick Coots and Heaven Gillespie and was first sung on Eddie Cantor's radio show in November 1934. Cantor's original performance, broadcast at the height of the Great Depression, 
included verses not in the standard version of the song, encouraging listeners to be charitable and help the less fortunate at Christmas. Winter Wonderland, the same year, 1934, is about a couple enjoying a picturesque winter landscape. They build a snowman who they agree to pretend is Parson Brown. They imagine the snowman asking if the couple is married and tell the snowman that he can marry them. Well, that's the end of my list of Christmas carols. What's your favorite Christmas carol? Well, I hope you have a very merry and safe Christmas. Back to you, Ann and Ron. Thank you, Nate, for that awesome power news. All right. So moving right along. Yes, thank you, uh, Nate. That was uh, quite enlightening. So what, so what about Krampus? So Krampus uh, was just recently, it's December 5th, I think, is Krampus knocked. Do, Steve, do you guys German do uh, anything like that in England? Do you have like a night of Krampus? No, well, we do now. It's it's starting to become popular. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it's it's Ron would Ron would fit beautifully into Krampusnacht because it's a night for. It's kind of like the night of the Grinch. Only the Krampus comes and steals children and does horrible, you know, tricks, and he's not nice. No, well, he's not supposed to be nice. No, he's the kind of anti Santa. He's I oh, I love that. I love he's I love that he's the anti Santa. Yes, Ron. Steve, Did you have a question? I, I remember something. Yes, and Krampus. I, and I can't quite put my finger on it. I'm sure I have it in one of my books. Probably goes today. But isn't there a tradition where the they would take uh, Christmas, was it mistletoe or, or holly, and, and beat the maidens in the village? That... No, that's not Christmas tradition. We do that every, every third Sunday. <laughs> Unless it falls, you know, unless it falls, that third Sunday oh, falls on falls December on the 25th. Christmas. I have a Christmas Christmas memento. Memento? Hang on, I think uh, I can reach it. Oh, oh, he's going to disappear. Oh, he's going. Oh, what are you going? No, go? he's back. Oh, my God. No, he's back. He disappeared. A few years ago, there was a loud clattering and banging on our rooftop, and we went out, so this was on Christmas Eve, and we went outside, and the, the, tile, the roof tiles were off, and there was debris everywhere. And uh, that was left behind. <laughs> <laughs> that disappeared on us, by the way. There it there is. Go. We can see it. That's awesome. So I'm guessing um, that's a genuine from Santa's sleigh. Ooh. I'm about to disappear. Again. Nice. There he goes. Uh, well, uh, you might want this. I'm, I'm not sure. Let me ask you before. Uh, it's titled... Christmas sex position, perfect for quiet, holiday, no. quirky, quirky. No, 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 we're not, no. I'll save that for Monday show. Stop it. <laughs> yeah, talk about it on your own. Talk about it on your own time. That's one for Thank the affection you. connection. Yeah. Oh, there you go. <laughs> perfect. Perfect. It's just perfect. We have to they do They have it. names too. <laughs> Oh my God. Let, let me guess. Dasher, Dancer, Prancer. Christmas cookie. Yeah. Comet, Cupid. Oh, this is going on Monday's show. I can tell you that right now. All right. Okay. Well, bookmark it for your next show. We can need to move this along. This, I can't help it. It's cracking me up. It's got pictures, too. <laughs> oh, no. No, no. We're not even going to discuss it. No. Stop. These two 
super incorrigible, everybody. You have no idea, no idea what I have to work with. It's mostly Ron, but I partially blame Steve. Okay. See, I always get to blame Steve. You're, you're always off the hook. There you Besides, go. Besides, you're English. You speak English, so you, you're never wrong. You know, you're All like, right. uh, oh, he's so cute. He speaks English. One of the most famous Christmas hauntings, of course, occurred uh, in England, and that is the, the Battle in the Sky. Yes, it did. Naseby, 1646. Give us a quickie on that, and then you can go Christmas shopping. Big Battle Sky, 1646, seen by shepherds, reported to King. King sends um, inquirers, and it's the only battle recorded in English history validated by the law, I think. That was there you go. Okay. Well, thank one of the for, one of the sure. commissioners actually recognised uh, one of his buddies yeah, exactly um, uh, galloping through the the sky, and it didn't just last on Christmas. It did actually start on Christmas Eve, and then went on for a period. In fact, according to some sources, it's ongoing to this present day. That's amazing. I mean, that's never been solved either. No. There must well, be I mean, there's there a lot. Theories. There are theories. There are yeah. theories. Many of which claim it's hoax. That's well, thank you, Steve, I've never been there us. on Christmas Eve. I've got better things to do. Right, like Christmas shopping. No, like, you know, Christmas. Christmas. Yeah, I'm not going to stand in a damp, muddy field just to see some ghosts. Yeah. Jeez. You do that any other night of the year. Any other night of the year. Traditionally, Christmas was a time to tell ghost stories. And this started way back. When did we say this started, Steve? Last uh, Wednesday. <laughs> last Wednesday. <laughs> um, it didn't start in Victorian times. It started in way the back in the Celtic Dark Ages when it went dark early and they had nothing else to do. They didn't have the internet. Ghost Chronicles hadn't come along. <laughs> Even Ron was pleasant back then. And they used no. to gather around the fire and tell stories some of which were creepy ghost stories and then charles dickens made a career out of it perfect awesome. famous most famous christmas ghost story of all time muppets christmas carol <laughs> that's my favorite. my favorite i don't know scrooge i, I like scrooge well i have a victorian christmas story and i'm going to read it and everybody else is going to have a break. So here we go. And now I bring to you a Victorian ghost story. This is a story called Smee by A.M. Burridge. No, said Jackson with a smile. I'm sorry. I don't want to upset your game. I shan't be doing that because you'll have plenty without me. But I'm not playing any games of hide and seek. It was Christmas Eve and we were a party of 14 with just the proper leavening of youth. We had dined well, it was the season for childish games, and we were all in the mood for playing them. All that is, except Jackson. When somebody suggested hide and seek, there was rapturous and almost unanimous approval. His was the one dissentient voice. It was not like Jackson to spoil sport or refuse to do as others wanted. Somebody asked him if he were feeling seedy. No, he answered, I feel perfectly fit, thanks. But, he 
he added with a smile, which softened without retracting the flat refusal. I'm not playing hide-and-seek. Why not, someone asked. He hesitated for a moment before replying. I sometimes go and stay at a house where a girl was killed. She was playing hide-and-seek in the dark. She didn't know the house very well. There was a door that led to the servant's staircase. When she was chased, she thought the door led to a bedroom. She opened the door and jumped and landed at the bottom of the stairs. She broke her neck, of course. We all looked serious. Mrs. Fernley said, how terrible. And were you there when it happened? Jackson shook his head sadly. No, he said, but I was there when something else happened, something worse. What could be worse than that? This was, said Jackson. He hesitated for a moment. Then he said, I wonder if any of you have ever played a game called Smee. It's much better than hide and seek. The name comes from It's Me, of course. Perhaps you'd like to play it instead of hide and seek. Let me tell you the rules of the game. Every player is given a sheet of paper. All the sheets except one are blank. On the last sheet of paper is written Smee. Nobody knows who Smee is except Smee himself or herself. You turn out the lights and Smee goes quietly out of the room and hides. After a time, the others go off to search for Smee, but of course they don't know who they are looking for. When one player meets another, he challenges him by saying Smee. The other player answers Smee and they continue searching. But the real Smee doesn't answer when someone challenges. The second player stands quietly beside him. Presently, they will be discovered by a third player. He will challenge and receive no answer, and he will join the first two. This goes on until all the players are in the same place. The last one to find Smee has to pay a forfeit. It's a good, noisy, amusing game. In a big house, it often takes a long time for everyone to find Smee. Perhaps you'd like to try. I'll happily pay my forfeit and sit here by the fire while you play. It sounds a good game, I remarked. Have you played it too, Jackson? Yes, he answered. I played it in the house that I was telling you about. And she was there? The girl who broke? No, no, said someone else. He told us he wasn't there when she broke her neck. Jackson thought for a moment. I don't know if she was there or not. I'm afraid she was. I know that there were 13 of us playing the game, and there were only 12 people in the house, and I didn't know the dead girl's name. When I heard that whispered name in the dark, it didn't worry me, but I tell you, I'm never going to play that kind of game again. It made me quite nervous for a long time. I prefer to pay my forfeit at once. We all stared at him. His words did not make sense at all. Tim Vouse was the kindest man in the world. He smiled at us all. This sounds like an interesting story, he said. Come on, Jackson, you can tell it to us instead of paying a forfeit. Very well, said Jackson, and here is his story. Have you met the Sangstons? They are cousins of mine, and they live in Surrey. Five years ago, they invited me to go and spend Christmas with them. It was an old house with lots of unnecessary passages and staircases. A stranger could get lost in it quite easily. Well, I went down for that Christmas. Violet Sangston promised me that I knew most of the other guests. Unfortunately, I couldn't get away from my job until Christmas Eve. All the other guests had arrived there the previous day. I was the last to arrive, and I was only just in time for dinner. 
I said hello to everyone I knew, and Violet Sangston introduced me to the people I didn't know. Then it was time to go into dinner. That is perhaps why I didn't hear the name of a tall, dark-haired, handsome girl whom I hadn't met before. Everyone was in rather a hurry, and I am always bad at catching people's names. She looked cold and clever. She didn't look at all friendly, but she looked interesting, and I wondered who she was. I didn't ask, because I was sure that someone would speak to her by name during the meal. Unluckily, however, I was a long way from her at table. I was sitting next to Mrs. Corman, and as usual, Mrs. Corman was being very bright and amusing. Her conversation is always worth listening to, and I completely forgot to ask the name of the dark, proud girl. There were 12 of us, including the Sangstons themselves. We were all young, or trying to be young. Jack and Violet Sangston were the oldest, and their 17-year-old son Reggie was the youngest. It was Reggie who suggested Smee when the talk turned to games. He told us the rules of the game, just as I've described them to you. Jack Sangston warned us all. If you are going to play games in the dark, he said, please be careful of the back stairs on the first floor. A door leads to them, and I've often thought about taking the door off. In the dark, a stranger to the house could think they were walking into a room. A girl really did break her neck on those stairs. I asked how it happened. It was about 10 years ago before we came here. There was a party, and they were hiding, playing hide-and-seek. This girl was looking for someone to hide. She heard somebody coming and ran along the passage to get away. She opened the door, thinking it led to a bedroom. She planned to hide in there until the speaker had, seeker had gone. Unfortunately, it was the door that led to the back stairs. She fell straight down to the bottom of the stairs. She was dead when they picked her up. We all promised to be careful. Mrs. Corman even made a little joke about living to be 90. You see, none of us had known the poor girl, and we did not want to feel sad on Christmas Eve. Well, we all started the game, and immediately after dinner, young Reggie Sangston went round to make sure all the lights were off, except the ones in the servants' rooms and in the sitting room where we were. We then prepared 12 sheets of paper. 11 of them were blank, and one of them had Smee written on it. Reggie mixed them all up, then we took each one. The person who got the paper with Smee on it had to hide. I looked at mine and saw that it was blank. A moment later, all the electric lights went out. In the darkness, I heard someone moving very quietly to the door. After a minute, somebody blew a whistle, and we all rushed to the door. I had no idea who Smee was. For five or ten minutes, we were all rushing up and down passages and in and out of rooms, challenging each other and answering, Smee? Smee? After a while, the noise died down, and I guessed that someone had found Smee. After time, I found a group of people all sitting on some narrow stairs. I challenged and received no answer. So Smee was there. I hardly joined the group. Presently, two more players arrived. Each one was hurrying to avoid being last. Jack Sangston was last and was given a forfeit. I think we're all here now, aren't we? He remarked. He lit a match, looked up the staircase, and began to count. Nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, he said, and then laughed. That's silly. There's one too many. The match went out, and he lit another and began to count. He got as far as twelve. Then he looked puzzled. There are thirteen people here, he said. I haven't counted myself yet. Oh, nonsense, I laughed. You probably began with yourself, and now you want to count yourself twice. 
His son took out his electric torch. It gave a better light than the matches, and we all began to count. Of course there were 12 of us. Jack laughed. Well, he said, I was sure I counted 13 twice. From halfway up the stairs, Violet Sangston spoke nervously. I thought there was somebody sitting two steps above me. Have you moved, Captain Ransom? The captain said that he hadn't, but I thought there was somebody sitting between Mrs. Sangston and me. Just for a moment, there was an uncomfortable something in the air. A cold finger seemed to touch us all. For that moment, we all felt that something odd and unpleasant had just happened and was likely to happen again. Then we laughed at ourselves and at each other, and we felt normal again. There were only 12 of us, and that was that. Still laughing, we marched back to the sitting room to begin again. This time, I was Smee. Violet Sangston found me while I was searching for a hiding place. That game didn't last long. Soon, there were 12 people, and the game was over. Violet felt cold and wanted her jacket. Her husband went up to their bedroom to fetch it. As soon as he'd gone, Reggie touched me on the arm. He was looking pale and sick. Quick, he whispered, I've got to talk to you. Something horrible has happened. We went into the breakfast room. What's the matter, I asked. I don't know. You were Smee last time, weren't you? Well, of course, I didn't know who Smee was. While Mother and the others ran to the west side of the house and found you, I went east. There's a deep clothes cupboard in my bedroom. It looked like a good hiding place. I thought that perhaps Smee might be there. I opened the door in the dark and touched somebody's hand. Smee, I whispered. There was no answer. I thought I'd found Smee. Well, I don't understand it, but I suddenly had a strange, cold feeling. I can't describe it, but I felt that something was wrong. So I turned on my electric torch and there was nobody there. Now I'm sure I touched a hand and nobody could get out of that cupboard because I was standing in the doorway. What do you think? You imagined that you touched a hand, I said. He gave a short laugh. I knew you would say that, he said. Of course I imagined it. That's the only explanation, isn't it? I agreed with him. I could see that he still felt shaken. Together we returned to the sitting room for another game of Smee. The others were all ready and waiting to start again. Perhaps it was my imagination, although I'm almost sure that it was not. But I had a feeling that nobody was really enjoying the game anymore. But everyone was too polite to mention it. All the same, I had the feeling that something was wrong. All the fun had gone out of the game. Something deep inside me was trying to warn me. Take care, it whispered. Take care. There was something unnatural, unhealthy influence at work in the house. Why did I have this feeling? Because Jack Sandston had counted 13 people instead of 12? Because his son imagined he had touched someone's hand in an empty cupboard? I tried to laugh at myself, but I did not succeed. Well, we started again. While we were all chasing the unknown Smee, we were all as noisy as ever. But it seemed to me that most of us were just acting. We were no longer enjoying the game. At first I stayed with the others, but for several minutes no Smee was found. I left the main group and started searching on the first floor at the west side of the house. And there, while I was feeling my way along, I bumped into a pair of human knees. I put my hand out and touched a soft, heavy curtain. Then I knew where I was. There were tall, deep windows with window seats at the end of the passage. The curtains reached the ground. Somebody was sitting in a corner of one of the window seats behind a curtain. Aha, I thought, I've caught Smee. So I pulled the curtain to one side and touched a woman's arm. It was a dark, moonless night outside. 
I couldn't see the woman sitting in the corner of the window seat. Smee, I whispered. There was no answer. When Smee is challenged, he or she does not answer. So I sat down beside her to wait for the others. Then I whispered, what's your name? And out of the darkness beside me, the whisper came, Brenda Ford. I did not know the name, but I guessed at once who she was. I knew every girl in the house by name except one, and that was the tall, pale, dark girl. So here she was sitting beside me on the empty window seat, shut in between a heavy curtain and a window. I was beginning to enjoy the game. I wondered if she was enjoying it too. I whispered one or two rather ordinary questions to her and received no answer. Smee is a game of silence. It is a rule of the game that Smee and the person or persons who have found Smee have to keep quiet. This, of course, makes it harder for the others to find them. But there was nobody else about. I wondered, therefore, why she was insisting on silence. I spoke again and got no answer. I began to feel a little annoyed. Perhaps she is one of those cold, clever girls who have a poor opinion of all men, I thought. She doesn't like me, and she is using the rules of the game as an excuse for not speaking. Well, if she doesn't like sitting here with me, I certainly don't want to sit with her. I turned away from her. I hope someone finds us soon, I thought. As I sat there, I realized that I disliked sitting beside this girl very much indeed. That was strange. The girl I had seen at dinner had seemed likable in a cold kind of way. I noticed her and wanted to know more about her, but now I felt really uncomfortable beside her. The feeling of something wrong, something unnatural was growing. I remember touching her arm and I trembled with horror I wanted to jump up and run away. I prayed that someone else would come along soon. Just then I heard light footsteps in the passage. Somebody on the other side of the curtain brushed against my knees. The curtain moved to one side and a woman's hand touched my shoulder. Smee whispered a voice that I recognized at once. It was Mrs. Gorman. Of course she received no answer. She came and sat beside me and at once I felt very much better. It's Tony Jackson, isn't it, she whispered. Yes, I whispered back. You're not Smee, are you? No, she's on my other side. She reached out across me. I heard her fingernails scratch a woman's silk dress. Hello, Smee. How are you? Who are you? Oh, is it against the rules to talk? Never mind, Tony. We'll break the rules. Do you know, Tony, this game is beginning to annoy me a little. I hope they aren't going to play it all evening. I'd like to play a nice, quiet game all together beside a warm fire. Me too, I agreed. Can't you suggest something to them? There's something rather unhealthy about this particular game. I'm sure I'm being very silly, but I can't get rid of the idea that we've got an extra player, someone who ought not to be here at all. That was exactly how I felt, but I didn't say so. However, I felt very much better. Mrs. Gorman's arrival had chased away my fears. We sat talking. I wonder when the others will find us, said Mrs. Gorman. After time, we heard the sound of feet and young Reggie's voice shouting, Hello, hello, is anybody there? Yes, I answered. Is Mrs. Gorman with you? Yes. What happened to you? You've both got forfeits. We've all been waiting for you for hours. But you haven't found Smee yet, I complained. You mean, you haven't. I was Smee this time. But Smee is here with us, I cried. Yes, agreed Mrs. Gorman. The curtain was pulled back and we sat looking into the eye of Reggie's electric torch. I looked at Mrs. Gorman and then on my other side. 
Between me and the wall was an empty place on the window seat. I stood up at once. Then I sat down again. I was feeling very sick and the world seemed to be going round and round. There was somebody here, I insisted, because I touched her. So did I, said Mrs. Gorman in a trembling voice, and I don't think anyone could leave this window seat without us knowing. Reggie gave a shaky little laugh. I remembered his unpleasant experience earlier that evening. Someone's been playing jokes, he said. Are you coming down? We were not very popular when we came down to the sitting room. I found the two of them sitting behind a curtain on a window seat, said Reggie. I went up to the tall, dark girl. So you pretended to be Smee and then went away, I accused her. She shook her head. Afterwards, we all played cards in the sitting room and I was very glad. Sometime later, Jack Sangston wanted to talk to me. I could see that he was rather cross with me and soon he told me the reason. Tony, he said, I suppose you are in love with Mrs. Gorman. That's your business, but please don't make love to her in my house during a game. You kept everyone waiting. It was very rude of you, and I'm ashamed of you. But we were not alone, I protested. There was somebody else there, somebody who was pretending to be Smee. I believed it was that tall, dark girl, Miss Ford. She whispered her name to me. Of course, she refused to admit it afterwards. Jack Sangston stared at me. Miss who, he breathed. Brenda Ford, she said. Jack put a hand on my shoulder. Look here, Tony, he said. I don't mind a joke, but enough is enough. We don't want to worry the ladies. Brenda Ford is the name of the girl who broke her neck on the stairs. She was playing hide and seek here 10 years ago. The end. Right. So, you know, we're in the show. We want to thank everybody for listening. And as, as we have a new holiday tradition by popular demand, we have uh, the, probably the most famous edition of uh, a famous Christmas song. And without ado, here you go. Santa baby, slip a sable under the tree for me. Been an awful good girl, Santa baby, and hurry down the chimney tonight. Santa baby, an out-of-state convertible, light blue. I'll be waiting up for you, Santa baby. Hurry down the chimney tonight. Think of all the fun I've missed. Think of all the fellas that I haven't kissed. Next year I could be oh so good if you'll just check off my Christmas list. Santa honey, I want a yacht and that's really not a lot. Be an angel all year, Santa baby, and hurry down the chimney tonight. Santa cutie, there's one thing I really do need, the deed. Ooh. To a platinum mine, Santa cutie, and hurry down the chimney tonight. Santa baby, fill my stocking with a duplex and checks. Sign your name on the line, Santa baby, and hurry down the chimney tonight.
come and trim my Christmas tree oh. with some decorations bought at Tiffany. Yeah, sing it, baby. I really do <laughs> believe in you. Let's see if you believe in me. Santa baby, I got to mention one little thing, a ring. And I don't mean on the phone, Santa baby, so hurry down the chimney tonight. Hurry down the chimney tonight. Hurry down the chimney tonight. Well, well, Steve, thank you for joining us. Yes, thank it's you been an so absolute much. pleasure and a delight. <laughs> yeah. I was thinking of As Dickens thing. would have said. And well, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna end it by going ho ho ho. Thank you. Okay. Bye. Bye, Bye everybody. Well, thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in to Ghost Chronicles. And we hope you all have a fabulous Christmas and we will see you again in 2023. If I do that, I've got no fingers. I know. Merry Christmas, everybody. Merry Christmas. And have a great night. Merry Christmas. Goalies to ghosties, long-leggedy beasties, and things that go bump in the night. Deliver us, good Lord.